Hey, student. Uh, looking at your name tag, uh, Walker. Is that right? What do you like to be called? Uh, yeah, my my friends call me Sky. Okay. All right, Sky. Uh, you just saw a patient. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can I can I present that patient to you? Fire away, young Jedi. Um. Okay. So, Doctor Weeders, I just uh, saw Mister Smith. Um. He's like a a sixty-eight year old guy who has a history of, like, uh, hypertension and diabetes and COPD and high cholesterol and gout and arthritis and disc disease and um, also maybe had some heart problems, I think, in this one time in 1998 when he, like, broke his ankle. Uh, They, like, put him in the ICU and had, like, kidney problems and stuff. Okay, Sky, that's good. So um, let's get to the point. What, What is he here for today? Oh, yeah, so, so he's here today, um, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, the emergency department with a uh, chief complaint of, like, I can't breathe. And on a scale of 1 to 10, it's uh, 6 and a half, I think. And um, it doesn't radiate, I guess, but it is uh, worse when uh, he said he was talking to me. Okay, okay, hang on a second, Sky. I, I, I think um, th- this might not be working out too. Oh well yeah, here. and and, and uh, let me I, oh, on okay, a physical yeah. exam. He's right. he's got some like um, he's got some like wheezes maybe or or maybe it's Ronka. I don't remember. But his lips are are like blue, and his fingernails I think have clubbing. Um, I also looked in his ears, which are like totally full of wax. I couldn't really tell. Uh, okay, Sky. So put this together. What what do you really think is going on here? Oh yes, yeah, so so my assessment, right? Um, that's what you're asking for. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my he's wait, how old? Oh yeah, okay. Um, let me get my notes. He's so this is a 68 year old guy with a history of uh, high blood pressure and diabetes and like you know other stuff, who is here with shortness of breath, um, which could be anxiety or a PE or maybe asthma or like a heart attack or stroke or maybe malingering. Okay, Sky. Um yeah, we, we need to talk a little bit and work on some things. I'll, I'll go take a look at this fella, and we'll come back and talk more about the procedure of presentation. Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. I am here with an expert, truly, in how to present patients, Dr. Scott Weeders. Nate, I'm only an expert because I have jacked this up in about every single way possible. And so as you're a clerkship director, I'm a clerkship director. We're both kind of experts on this. We hear a lot of presentations and we know what's good. We know what's bad. And so we want to kind of take the nuts and bolts together and really show you what are the fundamentals and building blocks of a great presentation that's going to woo your attendings and residents on your clerkship. So, Scott, set us up here. The actual patient presentation um, Is that a big part of how the students get graded? Nate, I think we'd have to agree that the presentation is probably going to be the biggest chunk of meat in your meal for how the clerkship is going to go. Your evaluation will depend on a lot of different metrics. I mean, there's some testing involved, but really when it comes to demonstrating your clinical bedside knowledge and applying that to patient care, I don't think there's a better way to assess that than the presentation. We can go in the room, we can watch you interact with people, we can listen to maybe a PBL presentation that you have, but really there's nothing that's going to be more significant than the presentation itself. So that's why it's so critical and that's why we need to talk about it. Sure. So tell us, how is the presentation in emergency medicine, say, different from presenting on internal medicine or on surgery? 
Oh, Nate, that's a great point. And I think it's without doubt, you can tell the very first rotation when someone has gone to the emergency department, they've not had the experience. Their presentation most resembles something from internal medicine because they really want to demonstrate their knowledge, and, and that's the right thing you need to do. But the differences are going to be, number one, the length. So we don't want to know all of the patient's history. We don't need to know everything about them. But we do need some filtering. So in emergency medicine, we need to filter out the noise and the static from the real meat of the presentation of why this patient is in the emergency department. So you might have to trim things up a little bit. The link's going to be one thing. Second of all, we are interested in the most common presentation, but that's also taken in a light the most serious potential reasons that someone may have a chief complaint. So while you may not start off your presentation in internal medicine with things like aortic dissection and PE and pericarditis, in the emergency department, we want to hear that you know about these things. So I think the framework of what you're asking the patient to present to you is, is that you want to make sure they're not having an emergency. And so your presentation needs to reflect that. We don't have a lot of time. We're seeing a lot of patients, and so the length needs to be appropriate. And we'll talk more about specifics in a bit. All right, so how do they actually do that? How do students show uh, that they've, in fact, thought of the bad stuff, like PE that you just mentioned? So let's look back at, at young little Skywalker here in his presentation. This person was short of breath. And so, you know, it may be likely that this person might have a cold or a virus, or maybe it's just a little cough, maybe some COPD. But we really need to know that you have thought about something like a PE or thought about something like ACS. So here's how you do that. You say some pertinent negatives. So if you come to me in your presentation in your HPI and you're saying that this pain is, quote, not pleuritic, and you're also telling me in review of systems that they don't have hemoptysis, that they don't have unilateral leg swelling, and on your physical exam you throw in something like, Maybe they're normal with their tachycardia not being present. They're not tachypnic. Their oxygen saturations are normal on room air. And you specifically mentioned there's a negative Hohmann sign. I've got a pretty good idea that you're thinking about a PE. Now, if you want to take it to the next level, you can throw in your medical decision-making and say something like, this person is PERC negative, P-E-R-C. That's pulmonary embolism rule-out criteria. So you can throw in some evidence-based approaches, but even if the patient is there for something like maybe just an asthma exacerbation, letting your attending know that you have thought about dangerous things by mentioning pertinent negatives in your HPI review systems and exam, as well as throwing in maybe some evidence-based decision rules, can be ways to demonstrate that you know this person's not going to die after the visit. Great advice. So these review systems, these uh, physical exam findings of pertinent positive negatives, you know, students always ask me, how do I know what's pertinent and how long should this presentation really be? Oh, Nate, and that's the whole thing of emergency medicine. You know, what's pertinent, what's not. And that's going to be something you're going to be developing throughout your whole life. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Uh, but I think what you have to do is you have to go through and immediately when the person says, I feel short of breath, you're immediately not trying to ask questions just to gather random information. You're asking that patient, patient, prove to me you're not going to die from any of these killers. And you know the killers for the sentinel presentations. So you know the killers for chest pain and abdominal pain and for shortness of breath. And you're going to go through those and you're going to be trying to prove to me, patient, you're not going to have these. So if you start from that mindset, 
Your questions will be flowing right through. Your exam's going to flow in. And then when you present that patient with that mindset, it's going to come across a lot more natural than if you're just trying to ask random questions to fill in a blank. Now, as far as the length, the length of the presentation can vary. And I would encourage you before you start any rotation and start any shift, you ask the attending, attending, how should I present to you? Do you want me to stick to one or two minutes? Do you want it long? Do you want me to shadow you? Do you want me to be active? How can I best use this shift? And I think it's always good to start off with expectations. I know some of our attendings that maybe work the night shifts, they kind of say, hey, I want to know three things on your differential and then which one you're committing to. That's all they want to hear. Some people like me, I kind of like to have occasional times, maybe about five times a shift, where I get a really good, well-done, thought-out presentation that you've had the time to think through and we're not distracted. We've got time and we can go through it. Now, there's a talk out there in a paper that I would refer our students to, and it's titled The Three-Minute Emergency Medicine Presentation. And that's the title. It's a very searchable article. It's public access, and I think it's great to supplement this podcast. So if you want to learn more, I reference that article, Three-Minute Emergency Medicine Presentation. I don't know, Nate. I think three minutes is too long. What do you think? You know, I think three minutes is getting up there. I certainly wouldn't give a 10-minute presentation, and oftentimes a patient comes in, you can... Uh, present in maybe one minute if you have uh, something straightforward. You don't necessarily have to hit that three minutes. And I think the key is really trying to find out how to say a lot of information with using few words. So if I come in and I say, hey, the patient's heart score is two, they're perk negative, my goodness, I've communicated a lot of information. It shows that I'm aware of evidence-based medicine. I've already applied clinical decision rules to my patients. And then I've also been able to communicate all the information that goes into calculating those scores, and I don't have to repeat it in some sort of a checklist. Yeah, so I think what you're really getting at here is, um, you know, maybe a difference between uh, a reporter and an interpreter, something from a mnemonic that we use in medical education, RIME, R-I-M-E. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Oh, Nate, I love the RIME because I think it really frames a lot of the the evolution of the medical student. So I think most people, when they start off in their second and third year in their clinical rotations, they're definitely going to be in that reporter mode. And and that's what we need to move towards, is getting out of that reporter mode and towards this interpreter. So what does a reporter do? Well, you know, a reporter just asks a bunch of questions. I mean, you've got your list and you, you know, you're going down it one by one, asking question after question after question. It might not even depend on what's going on with the patient, but you're just asking questions. And then you just vomit that back to your attending. You, you know, person's there for shortness of breath, but you're asking about some kind of, you know, nail and skin change or something like that or the quality of their hair. And it just doesn't have any real meaning with this patient. So an interpreter is going to be someone who's going to really interpret the symptoms and guide the patient in their history. They're going to be looking for those, again, those immediate life-threatening killers that we're really worried about. And that's where we're going to be filtering out some of this information. Now, another difference is the reporter is just going to stop right after they've done their HPI, their review of systems, and their exam. And if you have to be asked by your resident or attending, okay, well, tell me what's on your differential. That's a sign that you're not taking the lead in this presentation and just being a reporter. If you don't finish it up with the differential diagnosis and you don't commit to a plan, you're not doing your job you're back in that reporter stage and you need to start getting to eat more solid foods. So you need to move through that and get to be an interpreter. The interpreter is going to commit to some plans. They're going to commit to some labs. They're going to commit to some therapies. And so that's really, I think, the basics of what the difference is between that reporter and interpreter. 
So you mentioned plan. Tell me a little bit more about this plan, because I think a lot of students out there have uh, difficulty still putting together solid plans uh, for their patients, even after they've come up with a pretty good assessment. So what's what's really the difference between a subtacular or a spectacular plan? Oh, I love that, Nate. So, you know, really some of the differences, there's a lot of them, but I think the first thing I would say to students is it's okay to not be 100% confident in your plan. If you were, there'd be no purpose for medical school. There'd be no purpose for residency training. So it's okay to feel unsure of yourself and not totally confident. That's natural. So what I encourage our students to do is I like to talk about the humble commitment. So what is the humble commitment? The humble commitment goes like this. You've just done your HPI review systems, your exam, and you've listed a differential. Let's talk about this patient that young Skywalker presented. Maybe young Skywalker is going to say something like this. Well, you know, Dr. Weeders, I could be wrong, but I really feel like this patient is high risk for a pulmonary embolism. They're perk positive. They've you know, got some risk factors from the well scores kind of high. And I could be wrong, but I'd like to get a CT to rule this out. I'd also like to get basic labs because if this is going to be a PE, then we're going to have to anticoagulate the patient and we'll need to check renal function, hepatic function, and blood counts to make sure that it's safe. So the other thing is that sometimes students come in with this wibbly-wobbly presentation. They're not sure what they want to do. They say, well, I don't know. I'm not know. We could scan them. We couldn't. And they vacillate. And they're, they're spending their time doing their medical decision-making open and in front of you when that should have been done in private in your head. That's one of the ways we can trim up our presentations is basically going through those decisions and committing to those plans before you open your mouth and before you present. The other way is with dosages. It's a very common thing that medical students are not confident about dosages. But in your fourth year of medical school and during your EM rotations, you're probably going to need to start committing to some dosages. So one of the things people might say is they might say, well, I'm going to get some pain and nausea medicine for this patient. That might be a lower level decision. If you come back and you say, well, I'd like to give this patient a 0.1 per kilo dose of morphine, and I'd like to give 4 milligrams of Zofran IV along with 1 liter normal saline bolus, that's a much more advanced approach. And so I'd ask you guys to consider committing to plans, humbly committing, and then also committing to some dosages and specific medications. That's the way you can move from that reporter to interpreter and on down that rhyme mnemonic. Great stuff. So... Um, like, um, what about, uh, you know, the, uh, quirks or isms? (laughs) Nate, these are, these are tough, man. Uh, we are mostly unconscious and unaware of things that we do. For me, it's my posture. And luckily I've been given a wife who can remind me about my posture and make sure that that is better done. I don't look at myself in the mirror and I don't know that I'm a bad posture, but she tells me. So it takes a while to be aware of these things, and you've got to go to your trusted mentors. You've got to go to the people that care about you, and if you've got a good clerkship director, they're going to point that out to you. It's so funny. We have, uh, in some of our interviews, we have counts of how many times people will say the word like or um, and we'll have contests, and it's pretty clear you know which applicant they were talking about, and when the numbers get up in the 50s and 60s, it's kind of funny, but then again, it's not very funny. So make sure you tuck in a lot of those unconscious, unaware quirks and isms. Some common things are people saying, um, also people use the word like to describe things. Those can be some very distracting mannerisms that need to be trimmed up 
and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen frequently. So be aware of the quirks and the isms. You need to know these, and one way that this can happen, if no one's brave enough to tell you, no one's kind enough to go out and say, you've got a quirk, do the selfie. The presentation selfie, Nate. So what I have our students do is I get out your smartphone, go into an empty patient room, maybe a bathroom, try that one-minute presentation, and then watch it. That whole process takes two minutes. Now, it is painful, very, very painful to record yourself. You will likely syncopize, seizure may be involved. Uh, you may urinate on yourself. And after you wake up in the fetal position, get back up, watch that presentation to its entirety, and then you'll be able to understand if you yourself have some isms or some quirks or if your posture is bad, you'll identify these things and then change it it will get better. You know, I've, I've heard that urinating on yourself is maybe not the best way to do a presentation. <laughs> it did not work well for me. <laughs> so, but I guess that also gets at, uh, it's not just what you say um, or how you said it, but just sort of the nonverbal stuff too. Oh, gosh, Nate. If you don't look like a doctor, it's going to be tough to gain rapport with patients. If you dress in a provocative way, that's going to be unprofessional and that's going to be distracting. If you show up with a beard that's not trimmed and it looks like you're really trying hard to and you can't. I've, I've tried that. I can't grow a beard. So I don't. Okay, don't try. Uh, so make sure that you're dressed and look professional and neat. Take a second. Comb your hair. Take a shower. Uh, be aware of these kind of things. One common pitfall is that students often will become too comfortable. And I don't like this in my residents. I don't like it in my students, although it happens sometimes. And so people might show up with their old college sweater and their hoodie because it's comfortable or maybe it's cold and they feel best in this uniform. But that's really not what people expect when they come to the emergency department. People don't want to be saved by a bumbling reporter named Clark Kent. When they go to the emergency department, they want Superman to save their lives. So you need to look like a doctor. And that's the easy part. You trim up the beard, you don't dress provocative, you shower, you comb your hair, and you show up looking like a doctor. If you're cold, wear a long sleeve undershirt underneath your white coat or scrubs. But just show up and look good. It's not too hard. It's not your job to redefine what a doctor looks like. All right, so Scott, lots of great information here. We talked about um, really giving a succinct EM-style presentation, focusing on those pertinent positive and negatives that really show that you've thought about those life-threatening differentials and coming up with a really solid plan. How else can we practice this? You know, Nate, that's a good question. And I think the way to practice is to be a student of presentations. So if your fellow students are presenting and you've got a minute, lean your ear over and take a listen. Also, pay attention to the really good residents that are presenting. But also be aware, the residents might give a little bit more abbreviated presentation because they've had a significant longitudinal experience with their attendings. So my residents may give a more abbreviated, shortened presentation. Uh, although they can be rich sources of good quality presentations, just be aware that you will require a little bit more information and a little bit more about your thought process than maybe some of the residents. So I would just be a real student of presentations. Listen in. You'll know it when you see it the good will stand out. Great. And I think the one thing that we have to bring up uh, at the end here is, you know, really when to present your patient. I mean, if your attending is in the middle of running a cardiac arrest, is that the best time to go in and tell them about the stub toe in room 14? Oh, man. 
That is clutch. That's a great, great point there. Yeah, during a sick resuscitation is not the best time. Uh, I've had students follow me towards the bathroom, and you know it's just not the right time to give a presentation. So be aware that the rotation is not about you. Patient care comes first. And if you have time, then sometimes we can present. Uh, this is not something that should interrupt patient care. You need to be just socially aware of your environment and socially aware of interrupting others. Sometimes stepping on toes can have a really profound impact. So just practice, watch. I think it's always a good idea. May I present this patient to you? Do you have a second to hear about this next patient? Starting off with a polite question, boy, it's hard to get better than that. All right. And finally, what other resources are out there? Anything to help our students learn how to give effective presentations? Oh, yeah, Nate. There's a ton of good stuff out there. And so I'd, I'd reference the uh, EM Clerkship Primer, which you can find at the CDM Curriculum website. Uh, again, we've referenced the article, the three-minute emergency presentation. That might be a, a sentinel read before you start your clerkship to be aware of what's expected. Also, I've given a couple of talks with the IMRA, the Emergency Medicine Residents Association. They do some hangouts, and at their website, I gave a talk entitled Perfecting Presentations and Nailing Procedures, Secrets to EM Clerkship Nirvana. So a lot of the concepts here expand a little bit more in that talk, so you may check that out. Well, that does it for this episode on EM Stud. Once again, I'm Nate Lewis here with Scott Weeders, your co-host. You can follow us at ERDRN8 and at eMedCoach. You can also visit our website, www.cdemcurriculum.com, where we'll post our show notes as well as the resources mentioned in this episode. So good luck out there on those rotations, and we'll catch you next time on EM Stud. Thank you.